Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis. Today I'm in the studio with Tina White and her daughter, Samantha Galton. Tina is a graphic designer and digital media specialist by day, struck by a creative spark three years ago and a desire to share and spread her love of nature to others. Fairy Door Tours was born. She believes the idea was gifted to her by the fairies to help connect children and families to nature and to breathe life into our fading belief in fairies. Tina recently trained with the Association of Forest and Nature Therapy Guides and Programs and will soon be offering guided forest bathing walks as well. Samantha has a background in marketing and multimedia. She is a lead guide for fairy door tours and special events such as wand making, enchanted tea parties, private group tours, and birthday parties. Ladies, I am delighted to have you on the show. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having us. Uh, I want to, maybe we'll start at the beginning. Where did this interest in, in fairies and fairy lore come from? Tina, do you want to start off? I think I was always interested in old things and old stories, going back to, you know, being a teenager and a child and listening to, you know, tales from Pigeon Inlet and stories from Uncle Moe's and that type of thing. But I discovered a love of nature probably in the past 10 years, hiking on the East Coast Trail and become a little addicted to hiking the East Coast Trail. And, you know, I was quite disappointed to see the lack of children and families out there and I realized how much I was getting from it health-wise spiritual-wise in so many ways and um, so it kind of started with that I was you know sharing the trail with some kids sometimes and this idea sparked of like how do we get more families out here and the idea of um, a fairy door came to mind and you know kind of like a, a little art installation maybe along the trail that would entice families to come and uh, so that's how it started. It was never meant to be a business or anything like that. It was just like, you know, how do we get other people out here? So I remember the first door, um, I believe it was on Micheline's Path in Whitless Bay, and it had a message on it, you know, nature has missed you, come again, come often. And I remember kind of hiding a little bit on the trail and watching, like, the first group go by to see if they would see that door and how excited we were. And we'd go back to check on it then, you know, and a new one would pop up. But they were vandalized quickly, disappeared. And you'd go back and there'd be two hinges left on the tree. And, you know, it was just like really disappointing. Yeah. And, you know, well, how's this going to work? And the idea kind of faded a little bit. And then it came back a while later, you know, it was, it was just tugging at me, I suppose. And I thought, well, what if what if something happened in a park? You know, so that's that's kind of where it started. Yeah. And did you grow up with stories about the fairies? Somewhat, yeah. yeah. Not a whole lot, but... Where did you grow up? Um, in town, actually. Yeah. St. John's originally, then Mount Pearl. You know, I did spend some time at Eastport and places like that, you know, my teenage years. But I think uh, Ted Russell and, and those stories were, you know, a nice influence growing up. Yeah, yeah. The fairy stories are harder to find in, in St. John's. You know, they, I, I know there are lots of stories about the South Side Hills, and, and occasionally I'll hear a little... A little story from from the downtown area, but you know the fairies are sort of those things that happen in kind of the edges of the wild. Bell you know? Island, Butler's yeah. Marsh, yes. Conception Harbor, the yeah. Southern Shore. Yeah, lots of, sure. there are there are definitely places where the, those traditions are are still still living. Um, Samantha, how did you get roped into all of this? <laughs> oh my goodness, I remember Mom telling me, "I have this idea, and I don't want you to laugh at me." <laughs> and I remember how nervous she was, and and just telling me this idea and. And this door that she had found on the East Coast Trail and, you know, wanting to share that with others. And I was like, you're a genius. How is this going to work? And I remember, like, popping out ideas of, 
well, this park would be nice, but maybe it's too busy and maybe it wouldn't be respected as much. And, and this park is nice and, you know, trying to find how would this work and where it would work. Yeah. So what was the first park project that you that you did? Where was that? Um, Pippi Park. Pippi originally, Park. Yeah. yeah. Originally, I had hoped and thought maybe Tours Cove because that's where the idea was born. Tinker's Point. I mean, how ironic. Tinker's Point, Tinkerbell. Mm-hmm. And um, I was drawn out there. I moved out there four years ago. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful. But, um, you know, I remember chatting with a lady at Enloe, I believe, you know, trying to vet my idea without, like I said, I was afraid to tell anybody, afraid people would just laugh. Like, yeah, okay, people are going to come to see fairy doors. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I didn't know it was a thing in other places. I mean, stuff like this is going on around the world in the UK, Ireland, and, you know, different parts of the States, you know? Yeah. Fairy festivals and building fairy homes. So I was oblivious to it. I was a little disappointed, actually, when I started googling and researching thinking you mean this isn't original like it took the wind out of my sails it did because i really thought this beautiful little original idea had been gifted to me but i kind of got the message like you know it takes more than one and you know what i mean yeah and the idea is obviously something that resonates with people that i think people are very very curious we find that adults are just as excited doing the tour (laughs) i've had like a couple of Sisters. weeks ago, seniors from the Bjorn Peninsula, like, hugged me. Like, the you know, the grandmother came up and hugged me. And then afterwards, the, the husband did as well. And they were just, like, elated. And, you know, another time we had a school teacher. She was moved to tears. And when she found out where the idea was born, she had grown up in Taurus Cove. Oh, right. She yeah. was a teacher, and she was taking her four-year-old daughter on the tour and to share, like, the, the stories that she had heard growing up as a child and to be able to take her daughter on this tour that was inspired in her community, yeah. even though here she was in Pippi Park. So yeah. it was kind of like full circle for her. Yeah. So, so so when you take someone on one of the fairy door tours, what what would you expect? How would it, how would it play out? Yep. So when you arrive at Pippi Park, we actually start off at a picnic shelter and we always hand them the uh, fairy oath at first and that's just kind of the rules of the forest and you know respect nature respect critters that you meet along the trail and of course respect the fairies belongings and there's elves and gnomes as well and once they read the oath they'll get a treasure bag after they get their treasure bag they'll head over and they'll draw a little picture or write a little letter to the fairies for the fairy mailbox that they're going to visit on the trail and uh, then we kind of do an intro we explain what what's going to happen what the treasure bags are for so it's kind of like a little gift as a thank you for allowing us to see the doors and sometimes they'll take the treasures and they'll build things with them or sometimes they'll use them for different things and uh, then we hand out clues and the clues are left to us by the fairies, and they just allow us to find the doors. So it's kind of like a little scavenger hunt to find the homes. Yeah. And how many how many people can take a tour at a time? How many people we are We usually cap out around 35 people a tour. And yeah. sometimes there will be some that will show up, and they're like, we're here, and we're here for just one week, and mm-hmm. one week only. We really, really want to do it. <laughs> please, please, please. And we'll fit them in, and yeah. we'll head off on our tour. Yeah. And so what was the response to your to that first Pippi Park forest? You know what? We were shocked. And that was part of the fear, I think, of starting. Like, will people come? Will people laugh? Like, you know? Yeah. And are, are we going to be here? It sold out from the day we started. Like, we have not had a tour yet. We might have had two or three spaces left on a, a couple, tours, one or two yeah. tours in yeah. three years. It's been phenomenal. And it's usually weather-related. Of course. Parents are afraid to get wet and be outside in the yeah. rain. And the children thrive <laughs> in it. They, like, they get so excited that they can jump in puddles and run and you know skip and splash water. And it's usually the parents are like, look at the kids. 
kids, they're having so much fun. I'm like, they love it. <laughs> I, I find a very similar thing happens with the um, the haunted hike when we do haunted hikes. That it, it's the one business where um, miserable weather is not a disincentive. People love having that kind of experience. <laughs> you know, they're rarely out in the yeah. weather. So yeah, and you know, I was I was talking to someone who runs bird watching tours, and he said that the tourists who come here. They're here and they're prepared to go out regardless of what the weather is like. So, and I don't know, that's part of being out in nature, I think, is kind of the unpredictability. That's certainly part of the whole fairy story, that kind of unpredictable nature of fairies. Mm -hmm. Um, So you started, was the, was the Pippi Park the very, the very first? We applied to um, Bidgood Park, uh, Bowering Park and Pippi Park for permission when we were just getting ready to start up. And um, I think within cool. a span of 48 hours, all three parks came back <laughs> with an answer. We were waiting for probably, you know, six weeks, maybe. And all of a sudden, bam, bam, bam. Yes, yes, yes. And it was like, oh, wow. So we thought, okay, we're going to do Pippi Park and Bowering Park. But, um, and, you know, I think we were being pulled initially to Bowering Park because it felt more popular with the everybody. These are beautiful and they're yeah. so big. But, yeah. you know, it was just too open. We felt, you know, the fairies kind of pushed back they wanted the woods they wanted the campground and you know they've got a bit of history in um three pond barrens and that area as well mount sire road so yeah. actually found an interesting changeling story from 1969 which is pretty recent oh yeah can you can you tell us a little bit about that story well not a whole lot other than <laughs> i believe um it was an uncle who was babysitting um he's you know nephew maybe i don't know it was like toddlers anyway and um the baby was swapped there was an incident of some sort anyway and I think the parents were afraid to do the whole cold shovel the heating of the shovel and didn't really deal with it so the uncle did while they were away and uh, they did get their baby back you know so Mm -hmm. I believe he heated the shovel in the fire and you know yelled some threat or something and um, there was a shriek and anyway the baby came back (laughs) we we collected a story several years ago we were doing work out in um uh with with Ascension Collegiate in in Bay Roberts, and there was um, a kid that came in, a level two English student, and his his grandmother had told him a story about how when he was when she was a baby, the mother had her mother, the great grandmother, had come back and had found that the baby had been changed. Yeah. And what the mother did was pick the baby up and throw the baby out into the snowbank. I read that. Yeah. And then the baby was returned back. But they don't always end, not all the fairy stories end happily ever after, you know? No. And I'm I'm curious about um, the fairies that you have uh, for your The Fairy Door Tours, because you are dealing with children. Newfoundland fairies have... um, Sometimes, a, a, sometimes have a dark side, yeah. yeah. And do you do you explore that side, not or do you? So much, yeah. And and sometimes we do, but not on our typical tour. You know, we do try to bring in a little bit of you know fairy stuff, but not a whole lot. Like we we tend to believe these are nature fairies that we're dealing with. They're not the mischievous little ones in yeah. green robes that are going to throw you know throw something at you, and you're going to have sticks and all kinds of nastiness coming out of yeah, your skin. Yeah, blasts. Yeah. You know, I think we'd frighten them. You know, they show up in their sparkles and their little <laughs> glittery wings, and we're like, yeah, we can't do that to them. But you know, <laughs> occasionally we do an evening tour, and um, you know, then we you know we'll. Later we'll tell night. a real Newfoundland fairy story at the end instead of our little fairy book that we'll read during the day. Right. And, you know, and we try to inject little things, you know, as we're going through the tour, mostly about nature, more yeah. so than our fairy. 
But um, I do tell them or ask them, you know, inquire. Ask your oldest living relative about Newfoundland fairies. And if when they were little, you know, did they have to carry a crust of bread when they went berry picking like my nan did? Or, you know, so we try to inject what we can without, like, really getting into our our fairies. Yeah. I I find that interesting because, you know, I... um I've told fairy stories in all kinds of different places, and and I've told Newfoundland fairy stories in places like Toronto. I, I, I remember doing. I went to the Toronto Storytelling Festival once, and I was telling Newfoundland fairy stories to to kids and whatnot. And and people will come up afterwards and say how much they enjoyed the stories. But something very different happens when I tell stories here. Uh, if I was telling stories in Newfoundland, and I've told stories in Cape Breton as well, someone will come up to me and say, "Now I got to tell you my fairy story." And I'm curious if people have come up to you and said, oh, we have a story about fairies. A little. Yeah, sometimes like lot. if a grandmother was taking their granddaughter on a tour, they'll tell us, you know, I grew up in such and such place and, and I heard this story and we've had numerous ones. I remember last year we had um, sisters that had lived away most of their life. I think one might have lived in yeah. Newfoundland and um, there was, I think, seven of them, six of them. And they actually came on the tour with no children, and they just came to do the tour because they had grown up with the, right. the fairy stories, and yeah. they wanted to go back to their childhood. That's and, amazing. And yeah. that was something that they did together. So it's not always someone there with a child. And sometimes they'll tell us some of the stories that they knew or have a conversation on the side away from the children usually. Yeah, yeah. It's a rare treat. It happens probably once or twice a season, but it's always lovely. And sometimes they'll even give me a name of somebody I need to connect with, like out yeah. in St. Mary's or Branch or somewhere like oh, that. Yeah. And once I actually took a road trip down to Trapassi, um, to hear Tony Power. Oh, Tony Power yeah. tell stories. Yeah, because yeah. he, I, you know, Tony is a great storyteller, and I, I was lucky enough to know his mom, who was an oh, amazing wow. storyteller, and she had really great, uh, great stories. Um, great, good stories about the fairies. I know she had a fabulous story about a, a gentleman in the community who learned a fairy tune from right. someone. She, he had, he was a musician, and the fairies had taught him this wow. uh, fairy tune, which is as which is a very old Irish story. Tin whistle, yeah. probably. <laughs> so this, these stories kind of came, you know, when when people started to settle in Newfoundland, came with them, and and it's. I, I think you're right that to a certain extent they have faded yeah. a, a little bit. You know, I, I think maybe the world today has moved on a bit, but they're distracted. They are distracted, and so maybe we can talk a little bit about the whole getting into nature because I know this is something that you're very passionate yeah. about. And I've also done like a fairy lore walkabout out in Taurus Cove, more guided to Taurus, like on what you're talking about. And to that one, I do start with like handing out a crust of bread, and I tell them all about where fairies originated, or you know, one of the schools of thoughts. Yeah. And, and how to protect yourself from them and the type of shenanigans they're involved with. <laughs> and oh, I left my book in the car. I meant to bring it in. I actually have two beautiful poems that were written in 1939 by two local ladies in grade three. So they'd be in their late 80s now. Oh, wow. Um, Prince Wales Collegiate. It was a little booklet I found online. And I had it in my car. I meant to bring it in to share that. And I also have a newspaper article from 1890 where a gentleman went to court. <laughs> yes, right? You're probably I've familiar story, with that yeah. one. He missed 13 days. You know? And he blamed it on the fairies. Yes, yeah. but to see that, you know, in a court, you know, article and stuff. So I share those. So I do, you know, I do find an interest in that. And, you know, Samantha and I were talking about how we can change up the tour next year to probably bring more of that in yeah. without scaring the kids. Yeah. Or, But you know what I mean? I feel like I've got three things going on. You were about to talk about the forest bathing. So I feel like those three worlds are kind of mingling together. Yeah. So I think Fury Door Tours is going to be changed up somewhat next year and 
you know, instead of, you know, the regular story, maybe those poems from those ladies. There, one is a beautiful poem. I can't believe it was written by a girl in grade three. But uh, I think she went on to do theater, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. Ruth was her name. But now, the, the story about the, the gentleman who went to court, I, I was at the, um, the Benevolent Irish Society maybe a year or two ago. I, we were, I think it was maybe something to do with the, the Mummers Festival. I can't remember exactly why we were there. And a gentleman came up to me afterwards, and he said, that was my family that, that was uh, involved in that court case. because. Wow. Um, Larry Dowie, who's an archivist, he had written a, a little write-up of it and had put it online, and uh, and Larry had connected him to this to this story. So, oh. yeah, amazing little connection that people still hold those those stories. People still do tell, and and as much as the tradition maybe has faded a bit, it still amazes me that that oral tradition is really strong here in yeah. Newfoundland. People love telling stories and love listening to stories they as do. well. Yeah. It's not lost yet. So no, that's a good not lost thing. yet. So, yes, I wanted to ask you about forest uh, bathing. The forest bathing. Yeah. yeah. So that's a relatively new thing. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. It actually started in the 1980s in Japan. Um, I guess, you know, they're hardworking, stressed out people. The government spent a lot of time and money researching, you know, the health effects and, you know, what they could be doing. And they found that time spent in nature was having wonderful benefits on their blood pressure and so many, you know, I'm trying to think of the word, but anyway, it has a lot of healing benefits. I won't even try to list right now. So I was intrigued by that a couple of years ago, I suppose, when I realized how much nature was helping me, you know, with anxiety or depression or stress or anything at all, just how good you feel when you're out there, you know, and uh, it led me to, to find that group, the forest nature therapy guides and programs i went away and done an immersion i think in 2016 for probably four or five days it was just like playing like a child in the forest almost (laughs) it sounds like it's really about just being mindful and it's just about trying to stay out of your head and uh using your senses to really you know soak up nature and and just keep yourself present so that's what that was about and the immersion was much cheaper than the training at the time. So I thought, well, I'll go do the immersion. And if it sticks and resonates, you know, perhaps I'll go back and do the training. So when I retire, I can offer forest bathing walks. But, you know, I can't wait till then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people need it now. And uh, nobody's nobody's certified here um, in any of the Atlantic provinces yet. But there's hundreds of guides across the states and all around the globe, actually. They've trained a couple of hundred this summer alone. Yeah. So in April, I signed up and uh, went to Ontario for a week to do the training and um, doing a six-month practicum now. But, uh, yeah, it's all about taking people out, small groups, probably, you know, 15, 20, dozen, even a half a dozen. And we spend about two and a half hours really meandering and wandering it's not a hike it's nothing like hiking you probably get cold if you don't dress warm because we're not going to move a lot and it starts almost like a a meditative type thing where you go through your senses and explore nature what you're smelling what you're hearing what you're feeling what you're you know anything at all like that and um and then you're kind of walking and just noticing what's in motion around you and doing that really keeps you out of your head and then there's a series of what we call invitations and um, they could be anything, but they're like little exploratory things where I'll, I'll ask you to go do something. And, you know, I might give you a magnifying glass and just go tell you, go check out the trees or the grass or something like that. Or it could be go sit with a tree or talk to a tree, anything crazy like that. You mm. know, it's all game. And um, usually it ends with a sit spot. There's little councils in between, between where we kind of circle up and just share like what we've noticed or what we're feeling or that type of thing. 
And um, at the end, there's a little tea ceremony where we have a, a tea made from a local plant or a tree or something like that. And, yeah, but people really feel good afterwards. It's, you know, it just really... I, I, you know, I can't even put it into words, but there's lots of videos and stuff out there, too, if anybody's curious. Yeah. So this is going to be a whole other... Uh, well, I feel it's all connected. Like, yeah, I feel like the, you know, the Fury Door Tours is my way of trying to get people into nature. Like, yeah. a little tease. I know it's like a maybe an art installation. We, we never tell anybody that. But you know what I mean? To us, the Furies lift a veil of magic every Saturday for a couple of hours and allow us to see their homes and then it fades away right but yeah. the fairies want to connect everybody with nature to help the environment to help people to help us all and yeah so i think the forest bathing is just another avenue another you know what that. i mean yeah, if you absolutely. you know if you don't have kids maybe i can't get you into the woods with a fairy door but uh perhaps you're stressed out and you, you know you're willing to take this walk and try out a new modality really mm. You know, once upon a time, people shrugged off yoga and mindfulness and meditation. So I feel like it's just another one of those, and it's probably just the latest one. Mm. I wanted to ask as well about some of the other things, and kind of the, some of the special event kind of stuff that you're doing, the wand making. I wanted to ask you about that. Can you talk a little bit about those other types of activities that you're running? Yeah, for sure. So actually, last week was the first time we've done a wand making. And we kind of got together as a group, and we just showed them some of the things that uh, the children that we had gathered had created, and just as a little idea. And I kind of waited for that after, sorry. And we, like, just told them, we're going to go for a little walk in nature. We're going to collect things, maybe flowers, maybe some leaves, some pine cones, whatever resonates with you that you think would be really cool for a nature wand. And we went for that little walk. And collected different things. And it wasn't a very long one. We kind of just spread out. And then we came back and then I showed them the wands. And showed them what they could do with it. And then when they sat down, we gave them all a little bag each. And each bag had different things. Like feathers and beads and different things like that. And then they got together and they all created one. Even the parents. So it was a parent and a child activity or a grandparents or guardian. And we all created wands using the same materials from the same environment. And they were all so different. And then we got together after our wands were created and we did a little chant and create activated our wands. And then we started on a mini tour. So well, it wasn't really a mini tour. It was, you know, eight of the clues of the ten, really. And yeah. then we went and used our wands on our tour and took off on our adventure. And so what age range uh, is that kind of activity suitable for? We had from I mean, three. I might do it. But like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, that was the point. Yeah. Like, a lot of parents came and they didn't expect that they were doing it. They were collecting flowers and stuff for their children. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> this is a group activity. I'm collecting. You're collecting. We're all collecting. So we had from three all the way up to grandparents and great-grandparents collecting and creating the wands together. So yeah. it was like a, a family activity. It wasn't like sit down and watch them. It was you have to get involved and use your imagination too. Right. So now you do other, you other you do other things like birthday parties and tea parties. We You've do done some of those. Yeah. We've done enchanted tea parties, and and that's something new that we started as well. We have miniature tea sets, and we served some different type of fairy berry teas and things like that. And then we kind of created our own dessert. So it's all about using your imagination. So you would get your own shortbread, and then you would create your own custom dessert and things like that. So yeah. It's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. Like a, and, it, and, I, and I really like that idea of introducing kids to folklore and storytelling, but then also getting them out in nature. And, and it does seem very uh, intergenerational as well. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And we've had people from all over. Like a few yeah. weeks ago, 
you know, we had a group of nine from Australia. We had people from Germany, you know, BC. We've we've had them from everywhere. And one family said that they had actually planned their their trip around the island based on our tour. The fact that they had to be in St. John's on a Saturday to do a ferry tour, and then they just kind of did the rest of the itinerary around it. And we were so honored to hear that. It was like, how awesome is that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting now as well that there are a couple other things that are that are available for people who are interested in fairy stuff. There's a beautiful fairy garden in in Cupids, the yes. rooftop garden, which is lovely. I met Peter actually at an event in Fairyland a few months ago. Oh, Peter Laracy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Who's yeah. who has some great uh, great fairy stories yeah. as well, you know? And there's now the escape uh, escape quest has their oh, fairy yes, escape a fairy room, house. a fairy or themed a fairy uh, escape room, which is more for yeah. a more adult themed uh, fairy but fairy it's cool. adventure. But yeah, so there's obviously um we've seen it kind of growing and yeah. we don't know if that's because of us like even last summer botanical gardens had a gnome quest and you know hunter, isn't it? something like something that like and that. we had somebody admit to us that the their friend was on our tour i think in year one from S- scotland <laughs> ireland scotland i think it was scotland anyway they turned around went back and created what we do yeah and um, we're there too. Somebody else actually just approached us recently, and we got our first little licensee location out in Saskatoon. Oh, amazing! So it's Fairy Door Tours, Saskatoon. The pra- the fairies took to the prairies, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, I, I remember talking to a storyteller uh, from Alberta at one point, and and her family was um, Icelandic okay. uh, in origin, and they have their own tradition of. Uh, the Hulda folk, the the hidden people, oh, the underground wow. people, and so yeah, she had Icelandic stories from the prairies as well. So I think you know oh, wherever nice. people wherever people ended up, they brought stories with them, and little people like to get into things wherever they are. So it seems you know. like every country, every every culture has their own fairies, but sometimes, like you said, they go by different names. Different but names, they, yeah, they tend absolutely. to be quite similar, right? If yeah. you <laughs> if you I dig in a little, like leprechauns were like. Were actually originated as a fairy, like they were a type of fairy. I was yeah. reading that somewhere, and, and it was only in one place that I seen that. But I was like, that's very interesting. You know? Yeah, there's a real interesting kind of hidden world out there, folklore, lots of different uh, stories. Um, we're, we're getting kind of close to yeah. the end of our of our chat, but I'm wondering, is there a a favorite story that you tell or that you that you have about fairies that you? I don't know that there's a a favorite. Or is there one that kind of is close to your heart? I feel like we were fairy-led ourselves many years ago. And yeah. you know what? I, I never realized or believed that until I was reading Barbara Wrighty's book. Barbara Wrighty, yeah. Right? Strange Terrain. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I did so, a lot of reading there so what to happened? try to learn more. And there was a story. Anyway, I was reading different accounts. And when I read one, I was like, like the hair stood out on my arm and everything. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, I've had that experience. That happened to me. And it was in Greats Cove about... 15, 20 years ago, and we had just been on a family hike together, and, like, we could see their parking lot, and it wasn't a big, big area. We should have been able to get out okay, but it was like we couldn't get out. We got separated from uh, one of the people that was hiking with us, a friend of mine, and it was me and my two kids. They were probably 6 and 10 or around those ages, Mm -hmm. and we could not get back, and it was like we walked in circles almost, although we were following a trail, and it should have came out over here, and I could see my car in the distance, but I could not get to it. And I'm I'm telling you, for hours, (laughs) it's like we just went around and around, and I don't know, I started to get quite uncomfortable and worried and concerned. I was trying not to show it because, you know, I was the adult. They were the children, but I was like... (laughs) No, I didn't think I was fairy late or anything at that time, but having read then years yeah. later, 
it clicked. I really think something was going on there. And like I said, I, I came across numerous accounts of similar things like that. It's like it's almost like the environment changes or there's some type of trickery going on and even though something is familiar you can't you can't seem to get out of it. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I, I even called her after I read that. I was sort of like, do you remember? And she, she was a child. It's 20, almost 20 years, you know, 15 years ago. And she wasn't quite certain, but I didn't forget it. And I don't forget the feeling either. Yeah. So. Well, that's a, that's a fabulous story on which to end our, our chat. If people want more information, uh, where can they go to learn more about Fairy Door Tours? Right, fairydoortours.ca or .com. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram and TripAdvisor, so you can find us anywhere there. Awesome. Definitely. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Thanks for having us. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our Heritage Broadcast Assistant is Natalie Dignam, in partnership with the Conservation Corps, Newfoundland and Labrador ECHO program. We would love to know what you think of the show. If you have a question or a suggestion for a future program, leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page, email livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.